Dakotans, welcome to the Dakota Rustler Show, aiming to keep America, its citizens, and minds free. Now, here's your host, Daryl Root. Hello, and welcome to the Dakota Rustler Show, episode number 89. Only 11 away from that magical 100 when I started this. I never thought I'd get anywhere close. Today's main topic is our children of rape victims. I'll get to that near the end, but before that, let me just say I want to welcome new listeners and regular listeners alike. I greatly appreciate you devoting your time to listen to our such a regular guy as myself. Not a celebrity at all, so thank you for listening. If you get anything out of this show, I kindly ask that you subscribe and spread the word. And once again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I do my usual shout out to Danheim, the provider of all the music on the show, who can be found on Spotify, YouTube, and a few other places. So let's get right into it. Florida can punish local governments and officials that try to pass gun restrictions that are tougher than state laws. Florida's top court affirmed last week by a 4-1 to margin. They rejected local officials' argument that they were immune to the penalties, which the court found were within the state's power to impose. In 1987, Florida passed a law stating that state gun control law overrides any local gun control measures. The local government's lawsuit did not challenge that law, but only the state's ability to impose fines. The penalties include $5,000 worth of fine for officials and allow people harmed by an unfair lawful local ordinance to sue the local government for up to 100,000 in damages. So maybe if you weren't allowed to possess a gun and you became a victim of a crime, you could sue because you weren't able to defend yourself. A lawyer representing the counties and dozens of municipalities stated, and I quote, naturally we're disappointed by the decision because we believe it sets a dangerous precedent for hometown democracy in Florida, unquote. Generally, I like local governance, but in this particular situation when it comes to gun laws, yeah, what don't you understand about shall not be infringed? Uh, The dispute goes back to 2018 when local government entities, including Miami Beach, wanted to restrict firearms from government facilities and ban sales of large-capacity detachable magazines, among other gun control measures. The lawsuit came in the wake of a mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida that left 17 dead. I've said it a million times. I'll probably have to say it a million more. It's just an old-fashioned statement. Guns do not kill people any more than a hammer kills people. You know, people kill people. Inanimate objects do not kill people do. Number two... The actor Alec Baldwin is facing criminal charges, which are expected to be filed by the end of the month. 
for involuntary manslaughter over the fatal film set shooting of cinematographer during a rehearsal of the Western film Rust, according to prosecutors. I did not go online to see if that took place yet, but I'm expecting him to be charged any day. Uh, the film's armor overseeing weapons is also set to be charged with involuntary manslaughter over the shooting death of Helena Hutchins in Santa Fe, New Mexico in 2021. In addition, a production's assistant director has agreed to plead guilty to a misdemeanor charge of negligent use of a deadly weapon and to spend six months serving probation. The Santa Fe District Attorney stated, quote, On my watch, no one is above the law and everyone deserves justice, unquote. A statement attributed to the prosecutor who was appointed to the case added, quote, If any of these three people, Alec Baldwin, Hannah Gutierrez Reed, or David Halls, had done their job, Helena Hutchins would be alive today, unquote, and he is absolutely correct. An attorney for Baldwin, Luke Nikas, said his client, quote, had no reason to believe there is a live bullet in the gun, unquote, on the day Hutchins was killed and condemned the charges against the actor as a terrible miscarriage of justice. Excuse me, but there is never any reason to believe that any gun does not contain a live shell in the chamber. The handler of any weapon is the final judge of whether it is safe to use or not. Anyone who does not know this should never, ever touch a weapon to begin with. And apparently Alec Baldwin doesn't know this. Under New Mexico law and voluntary manslaughter, which in this case carries with it a misdemeanor charge of negligent use of a firearm, would require prosecutors to prove that Hutchins died as a result of some underlying negligence. Well, I believe I just described that negligence. You're the final user of that weapon. It's up to you to make sure it's safe. You don't trust anyone else. Baldwin last year settled a wrongful death suit filed by Hutchins' family for an undisclosed sum, which to me is basically an admission of guilt or at least fear that he will be found guilty. He has sought to clear his name by suing people involved in handling and supplying the loaded gun that was handed to him on set. Baldwin, also a co-producer on Russ, said he was told the gun was safe. Well, that's like me... Trusting people, you know, trusting a car salesman to say I will never have an accident with this car and then going out and driving it recklessly. There's no difference. It's not the car dealer's fault. It's not the manufacturer's fault. It's not anyone else's. It's Baldwin's because he didn't know enough to use it. You know, like I said, you know, this is a potential weapon of death. You never trust anyone. You know, you trust no one who claims a weapon is safe. Idiots like him are why people want to ban intelligent users of their Second Amendment rights. Number three, the United States Union membership rate or percentage of wage and salary workers who belong to unions edged down to an all-time low in 2022 despite having a pro-union president-in-chief. 
Uh, this is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The membership rate fell from 10.3% in 21 to 10.1% in 22. Purely as a number, however, the amount of wage and salary workers who are members of union actually increased a little bit by about 273,000 to 14.3 million or 1.9% from the previous year. However, pure numbers can be deceiving. As the total number of wage and salary workers grew by 5.3 million or 3.9%, more than twice the rate of growth of union workers. So yeah, unions are still in the downslide. The data released Thursday shows that while unionization efforts have come into the limelight, they have not translated into greater representation of the workforce. An effort to gain union organization began in during the COVID-19 pandemic and has included efforts to hopefully unionize Amazon warehouses, Starbucks cafes, Apple retail stores, and others. Some have been successful, some have not. In December, the National Labor Relations Board, which enforces U.S. labor laws, made efforts to make it easier for unions to organize small groups of a company's workforce, a move that was expected to give them a key advantage. Uh, we'll have to see how that pans out in the future. You know, I guess we'll have to visit this in another year and see whether union membership has increased or not. My guess is it is not going to government has enough protection unions have pretty much become irrelevant and with that we'll go into the promo section of the podcast see you in about 50 seconds things Dakota Rustler related, please visit dakotarustler.org. The website contains links to media sites, a merchandise store, and a button to donate to the show. Your support helps to pay for expenses of production, as well as research time. Feedback is appreciated, and comments or topic ideas can be sent to the email address listed on the website. Sponsorships are also available if you have a business to promote. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back to the Dakota Rustler Show. Let's get on with the next little tidbit here. Number four, a Dutch husband and wife team's high-tech micro-dairy called Floating Farm can be found bobbing in the port of Rotterdam. The structure houses 40 cows, whose breed I can't even begin to pronounce, who collectively produce some 200 gallons of milk every day. In addition to helping nourish the local community, the waterborne farm is playing a part in the global conversation about how the climate crisis is pushing farmers to reconsider how and where they produce food. This is one of the new experiments which will hopefully create more environmentally friendly farm operations in an effort to combat climate change. If this works, this is great. For their part, the Van Wingerdens are betting on a method that does without the land altogether, which isn't quite true as the author misses their mistake. Listen on. 
Should the nearly 10,000 square feet of space for farming that floats on water be successful, their experiment would, in effect, not be vulnerable to rising sea levels or destructive floods. Rotterdam has already established itself as one of the most climate-adaptive places in the world. Everything from office buildings to entire neighborhoods are built on water in the city, which is 90% below sea level. Does anyone remember my opinion on the stupidity of not moving New Orleans out of a hole in the water after Katrina? In theory, the Van Wingerdens floating dairy farm will reduce carbon emissions associated with food transportation and help take a little pressure off the global land squeeze. The experimental farm floats on pontoons, rising and falling with the tides, which can fluctuate about 8 feet per day in Rotterdam. The rubber-floored barn occupying the top level of the structure is where the cows are robotically milked, mucked, and fed. In addition, they can also walk down a gangplank to a waterside patch of pasture, hence meaning the land has not been completely eliminated as I stated earlier. The middle level is where milk is processed into butter, yogurt, and other dairy products, and where rain and desalinated seawater are purified for the cow's consumption. The animal's manure, meanwhile, is processed for fertilizer that is used on local soccer fields, whose grass clippings return as feed. At the bottom of the structure is a naturally cool space used for ripening up to 1,000 wheels of Gouda-style cheese at a time. Some flavored with curry, others with wild garlic, etc., etc., all for sale through the farm shop. In other words, it's a circular system that is self-sustaining. Not just ecologically, but also economically. Sounds good, right? Well, here's my issue. The cows and hence the manure, is on the top level, while the food products are processed below. Uh, no thank you, just saying. Everything finds its way from top to bottom, thanks to gravity. Ever hear of system breakdowns? Nothing works perfectly 100% of the time. They even admit that a key ingredient, pardon the pun, is how farm materials flow through a waterborne structure. In addition, plans are in the works for a floating vegetable farm to move into the space next to the floating farm. Permit applications are also out for similar structures in Dubai, Singapore, and the Dutch cities of Harem and Arnhem. So we'll see how all this works. But here's a final thought on this. 10,000 square feet divided by 40 cows is 250 square feet per cow, or roughly a 16 by 16 foot square. And that's assuming each level is 10,000 square feet. If that's the total square footage of the project, that's reduced down to a 9 by 9 foot square. Either way, isn't such a sized space considered cruelty to animal wackos they don't like these condensed farming operations you're putting a single cow in a 16 by 16 area at most that's pretty condensed if you ask me it's kind of like a human being locked up 
up in a six by six walk-in closet. You know, think about that. And last but not least, are rape are children of rape victims. A woman conceived through rape who has campaigned for a change in the law to recognize people like herself as victims is celebrating after achieving her goal. The governments in England and Wales have announced that the victim's bill will extend the definition of a victim to include people who are born as a result of rape. The woman, who can only be referred to as Daisy, hailed the announcement by Deputy Prime Minister and Justice Minister as momentous. The government will now recognize people conceived through rape in the statutory Victims Code, which sets out the, listen carefully, rights available to all victims who report a criminal offense to the police. All right, so these people were born of rape. They have rights. Excuse me, but doesn't one have to be alive in order to be a victim of something? You don't even exist in the most primitive form until after conception, which, close your ears, some people, if the guy pulls out immediately afterwards, can't occur until after the rape is over. On top of that, if a child of rape has rights enough to be considered a victim, hence a person, doesn't that make an abortion murder, thereby denying the supposed victim their right to life? You can't have it both ways, people. Daisy had tracked down her birth father and pushed for him to be prosecuted for the rape of her birth mother, which is perfectly fine. In August 2021, he was finally convicted of the rape of Daisy's mother at Birmingham Crown Court, even though it was 47 years ago. How do I know this? Because Daisy is now 46 and was taken into care days after her birth and was adopted when she was just seven months old. She had known since age 18 that her birth mother was only 13 years old when she was born and also the identity of her birth father. The matter was investigated by police but never brought to court. Shame on the court, assuming there was evidence to convict. At the time of Bennett's conviction, Daisy stated that it's because of that crime I'm alive, I'm living, breathing, proof of a child rape. Okay, so you didn't ask to be born. Guess what? Neither did anyone else alive in the history of this planet, whether planned, by accident, or by rape. That doesn't make someone a victim, or anyone else a victim. Otherwise, we could all sue our parents, every one of us. None of us were asked to be born, whether it was consensual, rape, or whatever. We are not victims. I was put into a foster home when I was two. I'm not a victim of anything. So why has all this passed? Well, one word. Can you guess it? If you guessed money, eh, you're correct. One statement that was made after the law passed, quote, I know firsthand how difficult it can be for many of those children, not only from my personal experiences, but from the mothers and children, now adults, that I have met and spoken to. 
I have called on the government to embed extra support, training, therapy, and funding to all agencies across the UK, unquote. So once again, the almighty dollar rules. Just because you're a child of an unwanted sexual event, you are a victim. No, you're not. You may look at it that way, but you're not. That's my opinion. Everybody out there, form your own. Don't just believe me. So anyway, with that, we're going to call it another podcast. You know the mantra. Question authority and always be free. Thank you for listening to the Dakota Rustler Show, a production of DL Root, Buzzsprout.com, and their affiliates. Any unauthorized use of this show is prohibited. Until next time, have a great day, and don't forget to subscribe.